Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 445, and today we are talking about books being released on January 9th, 2024, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Danica Ellis, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Danica, hello! Hello! Happy New Year! Happy New Year! I can already tell that this is going to be a problem every time I record the show, because 2024 rhymed with and more as I read the intro, and I was like, with that, that's... Why am I rhyming? That's not right. <laughs> it's going to trip me up every time. I'll get used to it around like November or December and then it'll be like 2025 and then I'll be sad that it doesn't rhyme anymore. I'll have to be exactly. like 2025 alive. And do a little short circuit thing. Um, so yeah. So hi, it's a new year. We've had two weeks off, which is amazing. You got an extra week off because we have five Tuesdays in the right. month and we didn't do in all the books last week so um what a what a weird thing to not be recording podcasts <laughs> we've never had this many weeks off before yeah it was nice though because definitely the week of the second was quieter than usual uh, yeah especially for like the first week of the month usually is jam-packed with releases but it was yeah. nice to be able to pick from the first two weeks this time yeah, I, I was wondering like if that happened because the holiday fell on the weekend, because mm-hmm. usually the first January of the month is bananas, just like so many books. And these first two have been kind of like just building up. But wait until yeah. you get to March 5th. Like, oh, maybe we should just do like a 24 hour telethon or something about <laughs> books for March 5th, because there are so many yeah. And I keep coming across and going, oh, I got to mark that down on my, you know, master spreadsheet. And then I'm like, oh, March 5th. Like, I <laughs> can I add more books? Is this even fair? It's amazing. Yeah. So We'll have to let the other hosts know to, they'll be <laughs> borrowing a lot from the 5th. There's only so much we can cover. Seriously. Yeah. Maybe I'll do like a big roundup that day. Yeah. So we didn't have a show last week. We were off completely Christmas and, and New Year's week. Um, we did have a, all the backlist last week, which was episode 445 and a half, even though we didn't have a, or excuse me, 444 and a half, which even though we didn't have 444. So I want to point out that I couldn't really find an area code for, for 444. It was telling me that it possibly was in California, like right near Mexico and maybe used in Mexico, but it always surprises me when the internet doesn't know something like, I that is weird to me. Like that never happens. Um, but today's episode, 445, is the area code for Philadelphia and the surrounding areas. I'm going to guess it's like one area code for Philadelphia and the surrounding areas because mm. it's a huge city, but maybe it's the whole one. I don't know. 
Did I dig even further to find out? No. So hello to everyone in Philadelphia. Of you know, We know many people who live there. So um, that's exciting. I've never, well, that's not true. I have been to the airport to drive to New Hope from Philadelphia, but I've never actually like spent any time in Philadelphia besides the airport. So have you ever been there? No. I yeah. Well, I hear it's very nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, even if, even if, you know, my favorite basketball team fights with their basketball team all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun. I love having these sports dramas in my life. <laughs> So it is 2024 and 2024 is the 10th year of the Read Harder Challenge. Join us as we make our way through 24 tasks meant to expand our reading horizons and diversify our TBRs. To get book recommendations for each task, sign up for the Read Harder newsletter. We'll also keep you informed about other cool reading challenges, readathons, and more across the bookish internet. If you become a paid subscriber, you get even more recommendations plus community features where you can connect with a community of passionate, like-minded readers in a cozy and supportive corner of the internet. You can visit bookriot.com slash readharder to sign up. That's bookriot.com slash readharder. And I'll be writing the newsletter, so you should join and I'll see you there. Awesome. Yeah. We're going to talk about some books today that maybe people will be able to use for the Read Harder Challenge. Mm -hmm. But first, we're going to hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Song of the Silks Realms by Judy Eilin. Shu Wei is a talented young musician who was orphaned at a young age. Her sole family is a kindly uncle, but then her uncle is killed, and she is, of course, devastated. With no family and no patron, Shu Wei is facing the possibility of a lifetime of servitude playing the chin. Then one night, she is unexpectedly called to perform for the enigmatic Duke Meng. He surprises Shu Wei further with an irresistible offer. Serve as a musician in residence at his manor for one year, and he'll set her free of her indenture. But the Duke's motives become increased increasingly more sus when he and Shue barely survive an attack by a nightmarish monster. It's like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? So this book is a sweeping epic romanticy that follows a talented young musician who is swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke. And who doesn't want to be swept away to the celestial realm by an enigmatic young Duke? She's living all our dreams, honestly. Make sure to check out the new book. And thanks again to Song of the Six Realms by Judy Eileen for sponsoring this episode. All right. So 
I'm in true Liberty fashion. I'm going to kick it off with a book that came out last week, not today. And I can't tell you very much about it because it would spoil it. <laughs> so happy new year. <laughs> My first pick today is First Lie Wins by Ashley Elston. This is a really fun cat and mouse thriller that was just picked by Reese Witherspoon for her book club. You probably saw that on the internet if you look at all the bookish things. It's also supposedly going to be adapted into a series, um, which is true of a lot of books. Very few actually do, but this one looks like it's going ahead. Um, but I, like I said, I can't tell you very much about it because it would spoil it. So what I can tell you is that it's about Evie Porter. Evie Porter is a 20-something woman who is moving in with her new boyfriend, Ryan, at the start of the novel. Except Evie Porter is not really Evie Porter. That is not her real name. It is the alias of an operative who works for the shady Mr. Smith doing whatever is asked of her. When she was younger, we're just going to refer to her as Evie. That's how she's called throughout the whole book. When Evie was younger, she was contacted by a voice on the phone. Mr. Smith. She's never met him. She doesn't know who he is. He gives her assignments, usually illegal. You know, the assignment is she turns into someone else, she completes her assignment, and then she gets a ton of money. Like, good deal. Someday, she thinks that she'll go home to where she's from, from where he found her, and she'll be her real self again. Like, she'll get enough money and she'll just retire from all this. So at the beginning of this book, Evie has a new assignment, and this time... Her quote-unquote boyfriend, Ryan, is the mark. But Evie gets the sense that this job is not like the others she's done before. But before she can figure out why that is, she meets a woman in the town where she lives with Ryan who introduces herself by Evie's real name and gives Evie's real backstory. And Evie can't give away the fact that she knows that this woman is using her identity. Now Evie must figure out why Mr. Smith has sent her to this town, why she's supposed to watch Ryan, because she hasn't received all her instructions yet, and also who sent this fake her to this town where she is. You know, she's got to figure this all out before someone finds out that she's not who she claims to be and everything falls apart. It's nonstop twists and turns. It's really fun. It has fun spy gadgets and, like, spy stuff. Evie has this cool friend who like handles all the technology stuff and does all this wild stuff that'll make you a little paranoid to be in your home because you're like, is somebody listening to me? But it's really fun. And one thing that I really enjoyed about this book is that it's really low on violence, which is refreshing. It's refreshing to read a thriller that's this fun and good and doesn't have some kind of horrifying something happening to somebody. Uh, it's just great. I do want to give content warnings for loss of a loved one, cancer, alcohol and drug use and abuse, injury, and murder off the page. This is First Lie Wins by Ashley Elston. Okay, that's a pretty good hook. I'm intrigued. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. I had three weeks to work on it. <laughs> My first pick is a Y book called Just Happy to Be Here by Naomi Kanakia. And this is about Tara, who is the first trans girl to attend Ainsley Academy, which is an all-girls school. And she just wants to blend in. She is not trying to make a statement. She just likes the school. And it is hard for her to fit in, especially because she's also one of the few students of color 
at the school. But one place she does feel like she belongs is the Sibyls, which is an exclusive society within the school that values classical history. And because Tara's passion is speeches throughout history, she really admires the Sibyls. She likes how they seem to have their own values and don't really care what anyone else thinks about them. But when she applies to join, she is thrown into a controversy about who is allowed in this elite group for girls and whether it should still exist at all. I found this to be an infuriating read, and I mean that as a compliment, but I just was so angry on Tara's behalf. She seems to just bounce between dealing with microaggressions and dealing with macroaggressions. There's basically nowhere in her life where she can just be herself. Her parents are kind of accepting, but they often misgender her and they are constantly questioning whether she's sure enough about her transition to go on hormones. She really wants to begin that part of her transition, but her parents are pushing back against that. And partly that's because they live in a state where parents can have their kids taken away if they're suspected of pushing them to transition, which is a real horrific thing happening. And because of their immigration status, they're even more vulnerable. And this is not just paranoia. They, at some point, are reported and interrogated by a state official over terrorist transition. She's also just constantly being used as a political pawn. Even the people who are theoretically supportive and accepting seem to only see her as the trans girl, not really as an individual. And if she says or does anything that doesn't match their idea of what a trans girl should be, they push back really hard, even when she's just expressing her own insecurities. They really insist on using the same talking points all the time, regardless of what she is actually trying to say. They're more concerned about saying the right things than actually getting to know her. And even the one trans guy at school uses her as an unwilling figurehead in his fight to take down the Sibyls for being exclusionary, completely ignoring that she loves the Sibyls and just wants to be part of the group. She's dealing with a lot of internalized transphobia and racism, and she is really uncomfortable being in the center of this controversy. There's also transphobia coming from the school administrators and teachers, some of it really blatant, some of it with a thin veneer of trying to cover it up. She is subject to a lot of double standards, so... When it comes to the benefits of being part of Ainsley Academy, they tell her that she's technically still part of the boys' school, that she's still enrolled there. But when it comes to the disciplinary aspect of being part of Ainsley, all of a sudden she is part of Ainsley Academy. And the only real refuge she has is the Sibyls. And they aren't perfect. And there are very good reasons that people want to dismantle this kind of society of rich women, but it's also where she meets her first genuine friends who actually treat her as an individual, including her crush Felicity, who she gets closer and closer to. Tara is bisexual. They are all flawed people, and they might not always say the right things, but it's finally a place where she feels like she belongs and that people have her back, not just for political reasons, but for her as a person. 
there's a long author's note at the end of this book with advice for trans girls, and that advice is not sugar-coated. It really faces the difficulties that trans girls have to go through right now. It's frustrating that trans women and trans femme YA is so new, and yet this author's note feels even more urgent and dire than the ones that I read uh, in books like this a handful of years ago. It's horrific that it's gotten even more dangerous to be a trans woman in the United States. This was an emotionally harrowing read. There is just nonstop transphobia plus added racism. This is one that I am glad to have read, but I'm also glad to be done. I read it very quickly because I just had difficulty being in Tara's head because she is just going through so much. So it's very well done, but also a difficult read. And that is Just Happy to Be Here by Naomi Kanakia. Well, all right. I don't know what to say now. (laughs) I mean, it sounds amazing. Yeah. So my next pick is actually a twofer. It's two kids books that I read over the break. Um, The first one is Lunar New Year Love Story by Jean Luen Yang and Lewin Pham. This is a sweet YA graphic novel about Valentina. Val is a teenage girl who lives with her dad and she loves Valentine's Day. She's pretty sure that's why she's named Valentina. Um, And ever since she was young, Val has had an imaginary friend, Cupid, who she calls Saint V, who visits her on Valentine's Day, brings her a Valentine each year, helps her write Valentine's Day cards that she gives to all her classmates. Like each year she hand makes Valentine's Day cards and writes like real nice things about her classmates in them, like encouraging things. And this is like her favorite day of the year. And then she gets to high school and everything changes. She makes her Valentine's Day cards with St. B and her classmates are like, what is this? Like Valentine's Day cards are for babies. One even rips one up um, and it really upsets her. Um, And he is part of a group that she meets at a studio. They are lion dancers. Uh, These are ceremonial dances that people perform inside a two-person lion costume. Um, They do them for like the Lunar New Year celebration and and for all kinds of events. Um, And around this time, Val's friend Saint V, the cute Cupid, also turns into a scary old man apparition when she becomes disenchanted with love after the Valentine's Day card debacle and learning the truth about her parents' marriage. And Scary Saint V tells her that her family is cursed to never find true love. She refuses to believe it. So he says, if you can't find true love in one year, you must give me your heart. She says, all right, I'll take that bet. She wants to prove him wrong. And she may thinks she may have even found true love when a cute boy from the studio starts paying attention to her. But as a year goes by, Val will learn that you can't force love. She will also learn secrets that will rock the foundation of everything she thought she knew about her family. This is really lovely and charming about love and family and culture. And it's visually stunning. The the illustrations are amazing. Lewin Pham did um, the Shannon Hale books, the Princess in Black, like if you're familiar with those. 
Um, so this one is Lunar New Year Love Story by Jean Luen Yang and Lewin Pham. And then the other one I read was The Misfits, A Royal Conundrum by Lisa Yi and Dan Santat. And this is a cute middle grade mystery about a young girl who feels neglected by her parents and all alone after losing her grandmother, who seemed to be the only person who paid attention to her. And she finds out one day that she's going to be sent to a private school on an island off the coast of California. She doesn't want to do this, but she doesn't really like anything that she's doing now. Uh, And while she's at this school, which seems like a little strange, uh, she's given a series of tests and finds out that she has been chosen to be a secret crime-fighting agent along with a few other kids which sounds rad. I want that. Um, and they they are trained by adults who say the reasoning is that people often overlook small children in situations. So they're going to do all these like things that adult spies do. Um, and there's a jewel thief working in the area. And the head of the school worries that the jewel thief will strike during their big fundraising gala that they're having in a few months. So they go through all these different obstacle courses and they learn all these different things. Um, it's a really funny and creative story of a loner kid finding her group. Um, also completely unrealistic makes all kinds, they make all kinds of like gadgets that like fly and carry things and, you know, radar and they get sent on dangerous missions and, you know, it's silly, but like, it's really fun. It's also illustrated by Dan Santat, uh, who is amazing. He's a Caldecott medal winner and he was just the recipient of the 2023 National Book Award for Young People's Literature for his book, A First Time for Everything. So that is The Misfits, A Royal Conundrum by Lisa Yee and Dan Santat. You had a a Cupid character in your book, and I have (laughs) Cupid in the title of mine. Also, there's another uh, book that I was looking at that's called OK Cupid by Mason Deaver that's also out, um, I think, last week. So apparently... Valentine's Day books are a trend this year. <laughs> you actually, I had written in my notes to mention this after you talked about this book, because there were three books that came on on January oh. 2nd for kids. There's also Courtesy of Cupid by Nishay huh. Jones. Like, I don't know. I was like, what is up with Cupids? Yeah. At the beginning, I mean, I guess Valentine's Day. I guess ready, so, but I've, I've never seen that before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, so my Cupid book is Cupid's Revenge by Wibka Bergerman, and this is another YA book. I will admit a big part of the reason that I picked this up is the cover. I think the cover is stunning. You should go check it out. This is about Tilly, who is the only non-artist in a house of passionate artists and has always felt a little bit left out because of that. Her parents don't really understand her, and they have also never seemed very enthusiastic about being parents, which was very frustrating. I was angry at her parents for a lot of this. And what's worse is that they have let her know that her granddad with Alzheimer's is coming to stay with them. And in theory, it's so that her parents can take care of him. But Tilly knows that they are completely unreliable and that it is going to fall to her to look after him. She's also terrified that he's going to die in their house. She has already experienced loss in her life and really struggles with grief. She grew up as part of a trio of friends along with Grace and Teddy. They were completely inseparable. And then Grace was hit by a car and died when she was 13. And after that, Teddy confessed to Tilly that he had been in love with her and never told her. And her death 
looms large in both of their lives years later. Tilly often imagines her in the room with her, commenting on her decisions. So the relationship she has with Teddy is really important to her. And one day, Teddy asks for a favor. He's got a crush on a girl named Catherine, but he is absolutely hopeless about acting on it and wants Tilly to help him. Catherine is an actor, and Teddy auditions for the same play as an excuse to spend time with her and drags Tilly along where she is roped into being an assistant to the director. And unfortunately, just to make things much more complicated, she also instantly and overwhelmingly falls for Catherine herself. And she is trying very hard not to let on, but she isn't necessarily that great at it, especially because it seems like it might not be entirely one-sided. This is one of the most painfully realistic books I've read about being a teenager. At some point, Tilly wonders if she would have to spend the rest of her life feeling both aroused and miserable. And that is basically what she is like the whole book, which it just is a very uncomfortable picture of what it's like being flooded with adolescent hormones. It's both the biggest positive and negative of the book. Also realistic that this is an insta-love story. Tilly is immediately attracted to Catherine at first sight, which I feel like is pretty typical of teen relationships in real life. Both Tilly and Catherine are flawed, which I thought made it more compelling and convincing, but I know there are readers who don't enjoy flawed main characters or love interests, so do be aware of that. I do want to give some warnings for this, not so much in terms of content as tone. I found this a very stressful read. I'm realizing both my books this time. I picked up YA books, thought they'd be fun. They were both very stressful to read. Um... This one because of Tilly having to care for her grandfather and having to take a lot more responsibility than she really should be. Uh, It stressed me out because she's a teenager and doesn't really have the resources to be doing care work like that. And then she's also dealing with the stress and guilt of lying to Teddy. I also want to give a content warning for outing. And there is some religious talk, but it's not a big focus of the book. The pandemic is also mentioned and not a focus. And as I mentioned before, there's a lot of sex talk. So be aware of that going in. I enjoyed this book, but I also found it very stressful and just really made me remember what it's like to be a teenager in mostly the not great ways. I think this is a fun story, but it really captures the awkwardness of being a teenager and how it can also be stressful and miserable. And the love stories you go through as a teenager are very dramatic. Maybe you you didn't, but I did. (laughs) So I thought this book did that really well. It's very realistic. I think I would have enjoyed it even more if I had read it as a teenager. And that is Cupid's Revenge by Wibka Bergman. Okay. So those are some books that we have read and enjoyed. And now we're going to talk about a couple of today's releases in hardcover and paperback. 
I say that, but I don't know if you have any paperbacks. I just have hardcovers um, that we are excited about, but haven't necessarily read. I have two that I'm very excited to read that I'm probably going to read tonight uh, in preparation for the new books newsletter. My first one is Northwoods by Amy Pease. This one is getting amazing reviews. It's a debut being recommended for fans of William Kent Kruger. I know a lot of people out there love him. I accidentally teased my friend because he was talking about how much he loved all his books and he couldn't wait for a new one. And I was like, oh, I just I just read a book that's coming out that I think you know, just came out. It turned out that no, I had read about this book like six months ago and, and he's been waiting ever since then. And I was like, sorry, um, but it is here now and I can't wait to read it. It's a mystery set in a small town in the midst of the opioid epidemic. It's about a young man who is suffering after his return from Afghanistan. He has PTSD. He has started drinking, which has ruined his marriage and his career. So now his mom takes pity on him and gives him a job where she works uh, which it turns out actually his mom is the sheriff. So he's working in the sheriff's department now. Uh, and the town just seems to be falling apart around them when they find the body of a teenage boy and another teenager goes missing. So this man, Eli, and his mother will join forces with a young FBI agent to try and stop the evil that is spreading in their town of Shaky Lake, Wisconsin. So it sounds really great. I can't wait to read it. It's Northwoods by Amy Pease. And Danica, what do you have next? Yeah, my first book that I'm excited to read is Not the End of the World, How We Can Be the First Generation to Build a Sustainable Planet by Hannah Ritchie. And what I find so interesting about this book and why I want to read it is that there is more than one way that corporations destroying the planet get away with it. And the one I think we're most familiar with is denial, trying to cast doubt on climate change science. But at this point, that's a pretty tough sell because we've really seen the effects of climate change. A lot of us firsthand, it's hard to deny it. And in fact, it's gotten so bad that many of us feel like it's too late. We feel helpless. But it turns out that that is by design. Those same corporations and individuals are pushing the idea that the planet is doomed because when we feel helpless, we stop trying to act. And if we give up, then the worst actors get to have total control of the future. So this book is by Hannah Ritchie, who is the data scientist at Our World in Data and senior researcher at the University of Oxford. She was Scotland's 2022 Youth Climate Champion. And in this book, she argues that the data shows that it is not too late, that the situation isn't hopeless. And in fact, she argues that we could achieve true sustainability in this generation. This book doesn't downplay the severity of the problems we face, but it shows that these are problems that are solvable. And she also uses data to explain how we can best contribute to the fight, which lifestyles are worth making, and what's sort of just noise in this conversation. I'm definitely someone who struggles with feeling overwhelmed and hopeless about climate change and, you know, the future in general. So I think this will be really helpful. I'm looking forward to reading this. I think it's crucial to keep in mind that thinking it's too late to fight climate change is playing into the hands of the people who benefit from the status quo. There are people really engineering it so that you will think that and that helps me 
kind of get out of that mindset. We can acknowledge that this is a giant problem that will require a lot of will to tackle without falling into helplessness. And this book looks like it'll be a great way to reframe that. And that's Not the End of the World by Hannah Ritchie. So basically what you're saying is the people who want us to believe that it's too late to fix the climate are like cats that try to convince you that you haven't fed them yet. (laughs) You can't listen to them. (laughs) You can't listen to them. So before I tell you about my next pick, we are going to hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, Black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, Black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Anise Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into the light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Anais Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. All right, my next pick is You Only Call When You're in Trouble by Stephen McCauley. This is another one I'm going to read, hopefully, for the newsletter this week. And it sounds like it's going to be a dramedy. It sounds funny, but it also sounds like it might be like little family drama feely. Um, The main character is named Tom. He is an architect of tiny houses. And he is always helping other people. And he's tired of it. And he's also used to disappointment. Tom's pretty disenchanted right now. And he's thinking, like, I'm just going to work on my tiny houses when he gets a call. His niece and his sister need him. His niece is experiencing discrimination at the college where she works. And while he's there trying to support her, his sister tells him it's time they tell his niece the truth about their family. There were a lot of T words in that sentence. Wow. Um, So he's trying to decide, like, should they tell her? Can he resolve all these issues that keep him from what he thinks he wants? Um, It sounds really fun. 
It's You Only Call When You're in Trouble by Stephen McCauley. All right. My last one I want to talk about is That Time I Got Drunk and Saved a Demon by Kimberly Lemming. And you might be thinking, wait, hasn't that book been out for years now? And it has. It was a first a self-published ebook in 2021, and it is now being republished with Orbit. And the new cover is stunning, by the way. The original one was cute, but if you haven't seen it, the new one is worth getting for the cover alone. You've probably noticed that cozy fantasy is having a moment, so is romanticy, and if you're a fan of either of those, you'll want to pick this series up. This is the first volume, and it follows Cinnamon, the spice trader. She has just gotten very drunk during the celebration of the latest batch of heroes to be chosen by the goddess, and specifically, she is celebrating not having been chosen, because no death-defying adventures for her. Thank you. But as she stumbles home, she takes an accidental detour and finds someone trapped under some rubble. When she frees him, she finds out that he's a demon. And Fallon, the demon, immediately attacks her. She only just manages to escape with her life. But in the morning, this demon shows up at her family's home and claims that he and other demons are being mind-controlled by an evil witch, the one calling herself a goddess, and that Cinnamon has to help free them. Which is exactly the kind of adventure that she has no interest in, but on the bright side, Fallon is very attractive, and he keeps burning his shirt off accidentally. So if you want a steamy, silly fantasy romance, you need to pick this series up. It's got a little bit higher stakes than most cozy fantasies, but there are still a lot of cozy and silly elements. And that is That Time I Got Drunk and Saved a Demon by Kimberly Lemming. Okay. So I've read this, and I agree with everything that you say. I read it for One in Romance, an episode yeah. uh, a few years ago. Um, I lean towards the very non-spicy romance side of things. Right. And so Jess was like, why don't you pick a subject? And I was like, monster romance. I want to read this demon book. Oh. Um, so I will say that this book is very spicy. <laughs> like, it's cozy, but very spicy mm-hmm. <laughs> and so was the other one that i ended up reading and i was like Whew, monsters yeah, I, think, I think monster romance is I, fun to be on the side one thing that i never learn is that i fall for the cartoon cover every mm, single time i'm yeah. like it's a cartoon cover you know like i just read that um when harry met sally retelling okay. uh, that came out last year which is the name which i'm forgetting um but you know, and I was like, oh, it's got a cute little cartoon cover. That book was so spicy. And I was like, every single time. <laughs> like, I don't know why I don't learn from these things. But yeah. yeah, very spicy. So those are books that we have read. Those are books that we are excited to read. Those are books that are spicy with monsters. Um, and now I'm going to tell you about several books that are out in paperback today. Starting with Hellbent. By Lee Bardugo. This is the second in the Alex Stern dark fantasy series for adults. The first book, Ninth House, introduces to Alex, who was taken on as a student at Yale to help also with the magic on campus. Something big happened at the end. Cliffhanger. Don't know what happened. Uh, And now you will, because you can read the sequel, Hellbent. The next one is The Writing Retreat by Julia Bartz, about a month-long exclusive writing retreat on the estate of a famous horror writer, and you guessed it, people will start to die. Better the Blood by Michael Bennett. This is the first in a series, 
about a Maori detective who discovers a link between new crimes and a famous killing of a Maori chief and that these are being committed these new crimes are being committed as revenge. Now she has to investigate the crimes and stop the killings, but to her people she is the enemy. This was excellent. The second book in the series comes out in May. I keep my exoskeletons to myself by Marissa Crane. Another debut. So many debuts today. Uh, it's a dystopian debut about a world where people who break the law are given shadows. Like they attach a shadow to you and sometimes like you get like several of them. Um, and these people are called Shadesters. And the protagonist of this book is a new mother and Shadester who is mourning the loss of her wife uh, while trying to raise their child and how she works to turn things around for her child. It's also about public shame and second chances. The Girl I Am was and never will be a speculative memoir of transracial adoption by Shannon Gibney. This is a memoir slash fiction uh, for teens. This is Gibney's story. Uh, her memoir part is her life as the adopted black daughter of white parents. And the fictional part is the story she creates for what her other self could have been. Uh, she was given the name Erin Powers by the white woman who gave her up for adoption at birth. And so like what Erin Powers life might have been like. Your Driver is Waiting by Priya Guns. This is a debut about a rideshare driver who hits it off with a wealthy passenger uh, during a time when the city is filled with protests for people like her who are working all the time just to barely make any money. And the driver is excited to date someone wealthy, but then her girlfriend goes and does something unforgivable and blows up her world. Madly Deeply, The Diaries of Alan Rickman by Alan Rickman. Uh, this is the late actor's journals. He was keeping them in the hopes of publishing a memoir much later in his life, you know, but he died young. Um, they, you know, I read them. They're really fun. You're not going to learn like anything super scandalous or, you know, that you didn't really know. It's just fun to like read about his daily thoughts and minutia. And this has an intro by one of his friends, Emma Thompson. Please report your bug here by Josh Radell, about an employee at a dating app company who discovers a bug in the software that allows him to visit other worlds. Reef Road by Deborah Goodrich Royce, about two women in isolation at the beginning of the pandemic. They're in Palm Beach. One is a writer obsessed with an unsolved murder, and the other is a woman who is trying to locate her husband and children while she's quarantining uh, and they find a severed hand on the beach, which makes them cross paths. The Bandit Queens by Parini Shroff, set in a small village in India. The main character is Gita. Years before, Gita's husband walked out on her in the middle of the night. Now, because no one saw it happen, villagers think that she killed him and got away with it. So they're afraid of her now. They stay away from her. They don't bother her. She likes it. But then one of the women in the village wants Gita's help getting rid of her own husband. So should Gita fess up or help? And In the Upper Country by Kai Thomas. This is set in North America in the 1800s. When an old woman kills a slave hunter on her property, she refuses to flee and instead ends up exchanging stories with a young Black journalist that just might change the journalist's life. So those are some books out in paperback today. Danica, what are you going to read next? Yeah, I've got a stack of library books to choose from, but I think I'm going to pick up 42, The Wildly Improbable Ideas of Douglas Adams, edited by Kevin John Davies. 
I love the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but I also love just reading about Douglas Adams. I think I've read four of his biographies at this point. He is a, or was a fascinating person, and I highly recommend reading about him, whether or not you like Hitchhiker's Guide, honestly. And this is a collection of his papers and other artifacts that were left behind after he died. And it's a big kind of coffee table book with, I think it's full color, um, like prints of the actual papers with commentary. I'm really excited about digging into it. What are you going to read next, Liberty? Um, well, now I want to read that one. I think <laughs> I think I have it around here somewhere. Um, I, I It's every year I go, I can't believe he's been gone since 2001. It just seems wild to me. It's been that yeah. long. But uh, my next pick, I think, is going to be, or my next pick to read, I should say, is going to be The Waters by Bonnie Jo Campbell, which comes out today, the 9th. Um, Campbell is the author of American Salvage, Once Upon a River. I went to see her speak one time. It was just amazing. One of the best author events I've ever attended. Um, This is about a healer in a small Michigan town and her young granddaughter, who is called Donkey, who shares her observations of the adult world through a child's eyes. It's supposed to be brutal, but also beautiful. And that sounds awesome. So that's what I'm going to read next. So that's it for us today. You can go to bookriot.com slash readharder to sign up for the Read Harder Challenge and learn all about it. Uh, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Caitlin Brame. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. Tell us about your area code if it's coming up. Tell us about, I don't know, New Year's resolutions. I usually ask people about them on the podcast every year, but like this year, I feel like, oh, it's just enough to start the year. You know, like, who needs resolutions? (laughs) Uh, Danica, where can people find you online? Uh, You can find me at my sapphic book blog, The Lesbury, which is L-E-S-B-R-A-R-Y dot com. All right. And I mostly hang out on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive, where I did just put up my post about my favorite books of 2023. Mm -hmm. That's like my thing that I like to do on the last day of the year because I like to read them right up until the very end because what if I find another one? And, And then it will bother me the whole rest of the next year that I didn't get it on that list. So it's up now. Um, And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is that you get your podcasts and leave a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us and we appreciate it so, so, so much. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.